already on edge because of the U.S. numbers for consumer prices. Here comes the Spanish reporting an acceleration, an unexpected acceleration, unexpected by who? An unexpected acceleration in their consumer price index for the month of January. Not to be outdone, their neighbors over in France just reported a new high in the year-over-year -year change for its consumer price index. So understandably, given all of these things going on, given what has happened over the last several years, our attention has been drawn to CPIs, and our attention is always drawn to what central banks are going to do about their CPIs. But we should be paying attention to what's going on on the other side of the world, the clear opposite side of the world. Well, somewhat opposite side of the world, over in Asia. Because while everybody's focused on Western CPIs, China's reopening is falling flat on its face. And when it comes to Western CPIs, China reopening failing in the way it appears to be is going to have much more of a future impact on consumer prices everywhere than what we're seeing in either Spain, France, United States, CPIs looking backwards. Here's a quote from just last week from the South China Morning Post. I feel that this year's export market will be the worst. I just heard from many factory bosses saying that their electronic products can't be exported as their foreign clients haven't placed orders. The, the point of the article is that port traffic or the trucks that are usually extremely busy, exceedingly busy transporting goods to and from the busy, should be busy, East Coast China ports are stacked up in massive queues at many of these facilities, including the one in Guangzhou, which was reportedly a whole kilometer in length. Not only trucks are backed up, empty containers are stacking up in a way in one of those ports they haven't ever seen. There is a global trade recession that is already in progress and it has caught China up in it big time. We've already talked about the huge inventory, uh, the huge build of crude oil inventory in America, and we have to ask ourselves, where is that oil coming from? Now, the crude inventory build might be coming to an end because Contango is really thinned out at the front end, but the damage already seems to be done. No matter how the oil market adjusts to what's going on, again, we have to ask ourselves, where did all this oil come from? Because we know it didn't come from out of the ground in the United States or anywhere else in the world. It's very likely, almost certain, there was a big, steep drop off in demand. So forget the consumer price indexes in France and Spain and the United States, again, always backward looking. Let's look at Asia, but not just Asia because this global trade recession is already spilling over here too. Lots of, lots of numbers, lots of data to go over today. And a lot of it has a lot to say about future CPIs. But first, I'm Jeff. This is your Rodale University. Thank you very much for joining me. I do appreciate it. If you are interested, if, you're, if you want to learn about the background behind the monetary system and how it actually works, get deep, deep, deep into the plumbing. I know that's a terrible analogy and image, but the deep into the plumbing of the monetary system that's what Eurodollar University memberships are for. If you're more interested on what's going on today and what it means for tomorrow, I've got a couple research subscriptions available for you. A daily briefing that, as the name implies, 
get you ready briefly for each day with the major macroeconomic news as well as what's moving key important markets, curves, and whatnot. And then I do a deep dive analysis every day where we dive deep into all of these topics, what they mean for today as well as what it's going to mean or maybe could mean or possibly for tomorrow. All the information at eurodollar.university. We have been having, we've been, we've been given lots of warnings about China reopening right along, right from the very beginning. The big one came a couple weeks ago, or was it last week? I forget, there's so many of them. Japanese exports to China absolutely crashed. I think it was a couple of years, weeks ago. I mean, the number was minus 17% in nominal terms, minus 30% in terms of volume. Massive, enormous changes. And I know people say, well, that's the golden week. It was a week earlier this year. But when you compare the January exports from China to, or from Japan to China in any other previous golden week month over the last several years, it's obvious that what happened in January was unusually bad. Thinking back to the quote that I just said, uh, just mentioned from the South China Morning Post just recently, lines up with what we're seeing goods going into China as well as goods that aren't coming out of China. Global trade recession. And we got a big one last night from the Japanese too, going the next step further. If the Japanese are not exporting a lot of goods to China as well as other places around the world, which we'll get to in a minute, not exporting a lot of goods, period, volume-wise, they're not going to be producing a lot of goods. So industrial production in Japan, which is an important economic indicator in any country, but more so in Japan because Japan Inc. is still there. It's not, as, it's not as robust as it used to be 40 years ago, but Japan Inc. is still the center of the Japanese economy. And Japan Inc. is still a, a tremendously helpful bellwether for the rest of the global economy. And wouldn't you know it, expectations were that industrial production in January from December, so month over month, were going to be less. We'd already have the export warnings. We knew exports were down, not just to China, but overall from Japan. But the number they reported was minus 4.6% month over month, a 5%, nearly 5% monthly drop from December. That's enormous. Now, last time Japan saw anything like that, was last year, last May, when industrial production dropped 7.5% month over month. But that was because Shanghai and much of China was closed down by zero COVID. You can already see where I'm going with this. In January of 2023, despite the fact that industrial production was down almost 5%, there is no zero COVID. In fact, it's supposed to be the opposite. China is supposed to be reopening, which is supposed to mean lots of catching up to do, lots of demand spilling over to other parts of Asia, especially Japan. Japan should be enormously busy. Instead, they've exported a lot less. And of course, because they're exporting a lot less, they produced a lot less. Now, we've got some financial numbers and financial indications that go along right with these economic accounts that tell us China reopening is not going well at all. And we had been warned about China reopening because we have seen it. We had seen it last year when Shanghai and much of the eastern cities were locked down by zero COVID. There was a reopening afterwards in May and then June, especially June. The reopening 
was supposed to be this huge thing, another huge boost to the global economy. And as it turned out, it just kind of fizzled out. It was a huge disappointment. But many people said, well, no, the difference between this one and that one is zero COVID. Maybe somehow the pandemic policies of Xi Jinping's communist government had been restraining China from its Shanghai reopening. And therefore, with Xi Jinping no longer going to stand in the way of the Chinese economy, we're going to have, this will be the real reopening. But that was always more hope than actual rational analysis because China's problems internally as well as externally have had little to do with the pandemic or any politics related to them. One of the reasons why China's reopening last year was so disappointing was because the global economy had already tipped into the wrong direction. So any boost that China was expecting to get from external trade, you know, reopening port facilities and factories to catch up in all that demand that was supposedly missing or not being filled by China being closed. As it turned out, many Western companies took that opportunity to just say, cancel the stuff you were going to send because we don't really need it. And the thing is here in January 2023, now February 2023, global demand is even worse, much worse than it was back six and seven months ago. So whatever China was hoping to get from the external economy, it's worse today than it was before. And we'll talk about China's internal economy at another time in the future. Today, let's, we're going to just focus on global trade. And in the global trade that's reopening, that's falling flat, that's it's not even fizzling. It's, it didn't ever it didn't ever even got going. As I said, there's a couple financial indications that showed markets are increasingly worried about this lack of reopening vigor in China. If you look at Japanese government bonds, everybody is focused, laser focused, again, like the CPI on the wrong part of the JGB curve, though it's understandable because the Bank of Japan targets the 10 year treasury. That's the ridiculous, absurd yield curve control producing this kink. And so everybody's worried, what is the Jap Bank of Japan going to do about the 10 year when all of the relevant stuff, all the good information is coming from the long end of the JGB curve? Now, as you would expect, or at least you should expect, with rates higher around the rest of the world and dollar swap costs much less than they were last year, that's the reason why interest rates in Japan have been pushed up. And you expect if you can get a much better return in, say, a U.S. Treasury, and it doesn't cost you much to swap from yen into U.S. dollars to buy the U.S. Treasury, that should pressure longer term JGB yields, not just the 10 year or the nine year or the eight year part of the JGB curve. But instead, while JGB long term, we're talking about 20, 30, even the 40 year bonds, those rates had been rising up until around mid-January. Since around January 13th, longer term JGB yields have been going back lower again. Someone is using, just like they did in Germany, long term yields in Germany, someone is using long term JGB yields as a hedging instrument against what seems like uh, fears that China reopening global trade recession are not going to work out in the way everybody hopes. So since middle of January, quite noticeably, the ultra long end of the JGB curve, where there actually is some volume in trading, not just the Bank of Japan, yields have been slowly sinking downward, even as they're going up in other parts of the world. That's something to keep in mind. But it wasn't just long term JGB yields. We also see 
that the Japanese yen, the Japanese yen, which has had a tremendous rebound coming back from the depths of September and October, the uh, edge of abyss for, J for JPY. Well, that, that yen reversal reversed itself again, and JPY is going lower ever since, get this, January 13th. And that's not the only two either. So you got long-term JG JG, JGB bonds, January 13th. You've got the Japanese yen, January 13th. And you know what I'm going to bring up here. Of course, if you deep dive analysis subscriber, you already do know. China's yuan. China's yuan, like the yen. A massive reversal and recovery ever since late November. That reversal reversed January 13th. Suddenly, CNY is now weaker. And everybody, everybody focuses with these currencies on the Federal Reserve, rate hikes, short-term differentials, that kind of thing. But that all started in early February with the January payroll report. So this mid-January inflection in JGB yields, which should be rising given this ultra hawkishness or renewed hawkishness, instead they're falling. JPY, which is now weaker, and CNY is now weaker, which is maybe consistent with interest rate differentials, but the turn in those co coincident to J JGB yields in mid-January, while everybody was more talk, more focused on the Fed pivot. So in markets, as well as now data, a complete data series, at least what it re relates to Japan, China's reopening is not going. In fact, it's not going at all. It doesn't appear to be much of anything, let alone this massive boost that's going to rescue the global economy and reignite consumer prices all around the world. But this is not just about Asia. It's not just about China and Japan. There are effects, there are causes and effects that come from and spill over to here in the U.S. as well as Europe. So we got more data along those lines today, including, let's start with inventory, because inventory is obviously a huge part of this global trade cycle. Inventory that was epic, historic in the United States in 2021, in the first half of 2022, because companies mistook the CPI for actual uh, legitimate economic potential. They saw consumer prices rise and said, well, all the economists say this is because of an overheating economy. So let's build up our inventories. Let's just buy a bunch of goods. You know, we've got the, the logistical problems to deal with. Inventories will be able to easily sell them off because, as Warren Buffett said, the, red, the economy is red hot. But as it turns out, the economy was not red hot and it was getting cooler and cooler and cooler as last year dragged on. And as it got cooler and cooler and as inventory piled up and piled up was not being sold, companies, retailers and wholesalers, wholesalers in the U.S. began to say enough with the inventory. Now, they didn't cut back. They didn't really start to clamp down, but they slowed down the inventory, which is why we're seeing all of these problems in Japan and China and other producers around the world, including Germany. Germany has mentioned, uh, has shown problems of weakness in exports to the United States, too. So the inventory we saw today, we got today, was for the month of January. And these are seasonally adjusted figures, so take them with a grain of salt. Wholesale inventories in the U.S. were down by 0.4% month over month, the first decline in those, which is 
suggesting that companies are really starting to take more of an interest in their inventory, not just slowing down production, but maybe even starting to really call a halt to what's coming forward. Over the last six months, uh, wholesale inventories were up 3.2%, uh, which actually shows just how much they've slowed because over the six-month period before that, uh, up until July of last year, wholesale inventories had gone up by 12.8%. So massive slowdown and now contraction in wholesale inventories. Meanwhile, on retail inventories, those were supposedly up by 0.2%, the second straight increase, monthly increase. But over the last six months, retail inventories are 1.7% less. These are, these are by, volume, by value, not volume. So there's price changes to consider here as well. But by and large, what we see from the inventory numbers is that companies in the U.S. are not able to sell as much as they hoped, not able to sell as much as they want, and they started to slow down inventory flow. They didn't cut back on it. They slowed it down. And even as they slowed it down, it led to enormous problems around the world. And now if we're starting to see wholesalers in particular cut back on inventory in a month where prices were, were, were allegedly higher, that could suggest that what we've been afraid of this whole time, the inventory cycle not just slowing but completely reversing, might account for a lot of what we see across Asia, as well as in the United States, because we have sentiment surveys and PMIs in the US today that were ugly. Uh, one from yesterday, the Dallas Fed Regional Survey, minus 13 and a half was the PMI versus eight, minus 8.4 in, uh, in January, that's the February number. New orders minus 13.2 versus minus 4.0. But some of the comments from Texas were just, uh, here's one. We expect recession in the second half of this year. We already had our first round of layoffs. Another comment, it seems like someone turned off the spigot as we have gotten stupid slow as others have in our industry. And another one, maybe, maybe the, the one you should take home with you, uh, even if you're not already home, there is nothing positive with respect to the economy. Then today we get the Richmond Fed. The Richmond Fed was minus 16 versus minus 11. It was supposed to rebound. Instead, it fell further. New orders was minus 24, same as it was last month. Uh, with Richmond, we now have the average of the five for the, for the Fed PMIs. The average is minus 11.9 versus minus 12.4 in January, so really not much change. New orders was not really improved, minus 12.9 versus minus 15.6, and that was really because of the Empire Fed, which is incredibly noisy. But what you see from these Fed regional surveys, every bit that looks like 2008. We're at that type of level where we should be experiencing in the goods economy, as well as the service economy, something like a serious recession. Uh, to underscore that point, the ISM Chicago Business Barometer fell back to, to 43.6 from 44.3. That's the six straight months under 50. The production index fell by 10.2 points in February, which, uh, according to the ISM, approximately 40% of businesses flagged slowing activity. Global trade recession will have more to do with future CPIs than current CPIs will, even though those, the current CPIs are what central banks are going to look at. As the market looks at what's going on in China and Asia, looks at what's going on in Europe and says what's going on in China and Asia is going to become CPIs in Europe as well as CPIs in the U.S., at some point, 
the Fed, the ECB, all of these central banks are going to have to reckon with reality that does not look like the CPIs. Some things never do change. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. As I do the Eurodollar University members and all of our research subscribers. So until next time, take care.